What are you doing here? It's challenge day. You know we've influenced nearly every facet of white America. From our music to our style of dress, walk, talk, dress, mannerisms, we enrich your very existence. You should say thank you, man. Welcome to the Black Blue Podcast. I'm your host, Tariq Alameen, and we begin by invoking the blessings of the Most High, asking for guidance and success. Follow us on Twitter at Black Blue Podcast, that's at BLK Blue Podcast, and on Instagram at The Black Blue Podcast. Today, we begin part two of a discussion on the intersection of blackness and religion, and our guest is Donna Austin, an anthropologist, writer, and activist whose body of work focuses on race, ethnicity, gender, religion, media representation, and Islam in America. Some of her written work includes book chapters on the historical contributions of African-American Muslims in the arts, culture, and social justice movements, and the intersection between Islamophobia and Black Lives Matter. Her work has been covered by national news outlets, including NBC News and The Huffington Post, and she was named one of the top 100 Muslim social justice leaders by Empower Change in 2016. We welcome Donna Austin to the Black Blue Podcast. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum salam. It's great to be here. Yes. So uh, this is an exciting uh, conversation for me. Let's start out, in, in your opinion, uh, when it comes to the way that, uh, that, that we express ourselves, uh, as black people uh, with regard to religion, are there any particular identifiable traits uh, that you see that um, that go along with this um, with this identity of being of being black as far as our religion is concerned in the U.S.? Okay, so um, maybe it's useful to, if you don't mind, um, for me to kind of backtrack a little bit and talk about like what it is my like my research practices are and like the subject matter that I tend to work on because I think that um, for me provides an entry point into answering the question that you just asked. Me. Please do, please do. So, um, so basically, um, my at least my current research project um, is is about um, it's really in some ways a, a genealogy of Black Muslim spiritual activism um, in the post-Ferguson era, right? So essentially looking at current um, events, uh, social justice, racial justice uh, movements that have emerged in the last several years, particularly around the issue of racialized police violence in the U.S., um, and trying to, to understand the impetus or, you know, kind of the engine that is animating um, the, the perspective of social justice um, blackness, religious activism, right, within this moment um, that, that the country is experiencing as a whole, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so one of the things that, um, and, and my work more broadly, um, particularly around, uh, you know, kind of excavating and, and describing and analyzing the experiences of black Muslims in the U.S., particularly, um, I mean, and that includes the spectrum of black, which we, I guess we can return to later, but particularly the African-American Muslim experience um, has been closely linked right, with this 
with with a struggle against anti-black racism and and the fight against white supremacy um using religion as a lens through which that goal is accomplished right Mm -hmm. um and so and part of uh, what I've experienced in terms of the research, but also professionally, I mean, I mean, maybe this, this is useful for the, for the listeners as well to understand is that my own journey, my own spiritual journey as an African-American convert to Islam was deeply tied into these types of issues. I came to Islam um, in some ways kind of lured in through, through hip hop. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and, you know, and I, I mean, I, first the first time i ever heard malcolm x's voice was over a hip-hop beat um and so you know so there's a you know so there's always been this you know this interest of mine and kind of like understanding how like religious expression is deeply deeply tied to um you know to, to the struggle for justice for black people in the u.s um but also beyond kind of the questions of oppression and and justice, right? Um, you know, tied to um, a, a search, right? And I don't know if you've experienced this as a as, as somebody, you know, growing, you know, like your experiences as an African American Muslim as well. But I know for me, a lot of what I was trying to get back, I guess, right, mm-hmm. um, is, is you know something that had been taken right through yes. the enslavement process right this is a this is a theme that's recurring right and it and it's it's something that drew me into the faith um some almost 30 years ago um as a young girl trying to figure out who i was in the world mm-hmm. um but it is something that shows up repeatedly um amongst my research participants as well in terms of how they relate and see themselves and and interpret their place in the world through the lens of spirituality and blackness. And so I guess like um, I'm in some ways very much interested in the ways that diaspora, like the, the state of existence as a, as a, as a person who is a part of um, that particular diaspora, the, you know, worldwide African diaspora, I, you know, I've become interested in a way that religion amongst other things you know, because so much of what we've experienced as, you know, who we are as black people in the U.S. is is unknowable, mm-hmm. right, because of historical circumstances. Um, you know, a lot of African-American conversion to Islam has been about a search to get that back, yeah. get something back, right? You know, and mm-hmm. so so I'm very much interested in the ways that that our bodies and our expressions, like, religion music food uh you know whatever like practices that that we kind of we do every day have kind of been cross centuries if that makes any sense and so religion is just one of those ways for me that this shows up and so i think that black expressions of religion in the u.s whether that be african-american islam whether that's the black church you know other types of religions whether that's um, you know, African Americans returning to a practice of African traditional religions, Ifa, and, and and so and so forth, and linking with those as a, as really a deliberate way of trying to regain something that was lost. Um, I think this has been, um, you know, this 
this this search for paradise lost, right? Which may which means you know the culture, the the traditions, um, the worldviews, um, the dance, the music, mm-hmm. you know, the food, and you know everything that we had that we were forcibly that you know forcibly separated from um, as a part of the enslavement process has been. Um, you know, I, I don't know. Like religion is just one of those really rich areas where it shows up, and that's true for me, at least in my experience as a, you know somebody who kind of studies, mm-hmm. you know, black religious expression formally, is that it kind of shows up across a range of of black religious expressions. Well, let me let me ask right? this. Let me ask this. I think um, in this idea of searching for that which has been taken from us, that which has been lost, uh, and finding or feeling like you're finding that thing or the pathway to that in uh, in your spiritual practice, uh, in whatever your religious uh, identification um, uh, happens to be, uh, isn't this also, well, I shouldn't say isn't it, but have you found in your research that that um, that the spirituality is, is, entw- is entwined with a resistance? Um because when we talk about what's lost, that's within that's recognizing that what has been lost is due to white supremacist uh, uh, structures um, that have marginalized us, that have taken, you know, that have that have taken from us uh, so that in our spiritual understandings, uh, in our scriptural understandings, we look for ways that uh, that em- that empower us. Has that something I hope I'm articulating that clearly, but is that yeah, yeah, something yeah. that you have seen that uh, that that may be definitely relative um, to the Muslim uh, uh, population, to African American Muslims, regardless of their particular, you know, um, understanding? Um, is that something that you've seen that uh, that I guess that's present in 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 our religious expression? I think. I mean, certainly. I certainly it's prominent. Yes, it, it appears regularly, right? It's certainly not, you can't, I mean, I'm not a, one of those who are, who are, you know, holds the opinion that everything is resistance, right? You know, right. Um, but, but certainly resistance, I mean, on some levels, just like living, right? Mm-hmm. And managing to survive while black is a, is a form of resistance, right? But, um, and, and I, and that's important because what, because the part of, I mean, what I think was important to understand is that a part of the slave making process, right, um, entailed, you know, violent stamping out of everything that made us us, right? right? Um, and so to to do anything that um, that that was that held on to that sense of self, right, for Black people um, in under the system of U.S. enslavement is resistance and so people you know you know a lot was lost but a lot was retained and people you know and 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 painfully right i mean you know managing to for example um i mean there's and this is this is demonstrable like of course i mean history documents this very well like so for example i mean you know you know seeking you know sneaking off or slave sneaking sneaking off the plantation after hours to hush harbor meetings to to kind of worship in a way that 
you know, respected their bodily forms, right? Where you could be more expressive in terms of dance and music and, you know, whatever, in terms of how we wanted to approach the divine, right? Um, that's, 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 you know, it shows up. I mean, historians, of course, have documented that, um, at, you know, somewhere around 15 to 20 percent of the of the enslaved people brought to the to the Americas, um, not just the U.S. Right. Because, of course, we right. know uh, people were brought also forcibly to the Caribbean and South America mm-hmm. um, were Muslims. And so many of those folks, I mean, authors like Sylvia and Duth, um, yeah, and Michael Go and mm-hmm. right and Michael Gomez and, and Alan Austin and others have written very documented uh, very detailed documentations that have, you know, uh, that have talked about the various ways that many Muslims who were um, enslaved in this part of the world managed to keep some semblance of their indigenous practice um, with them, sneak, you know, praying, you know, you know, in the Muslim way, secretly, um, you know, or writing uh, Arabic manuscripts from memory for those who were literate and had committed those things to memory. Some right. of those, um, some of those manuscripts actually still survive to this day, uh, you know, and are, um, you know, are on display and you know, and still exist. I mean, in other more subtle ways, right, um, in terms of names or, you know, that we've bestowed upon our children, you know, maybe just maybe like slight, you know, variants or, you know, like or partial um, forms of the names we might have used before. But these are all like ways that people um, manage to, um, you know, to, to survive and maintain a sense of who they are under a very brutal system. Mm-hmm. Um, resistance isn't always you know, you know, the, the big spectacular uprising, right? People resisted uh, the enslavement <clears throat> process and in, in the slave system in a variety of different ways, right? Then that's with regard to their religion and with regard to other things, right? So we think about, you know, resistance to slavery, for example, as slave rebellions, but there's a, a thousand everyday ways that people, you know, re- refusing to work or work slowdowns or, yep. you know, pretending to be sick or, you know, doing, you know, sabotage, all sorts of ways that, that are just kind of, you know, that don't necessarily register um, that people engaged in and, and, you know, as a way of kind of, you know, pushing back against the system that was attempting to crush them. So you saw that in the antebellum period. Um, and then, of course, um, where Islam kind of returns in a, in, a, in a systematic and forceful way, right, where people begin to return, where African-Americans begin to return to Islam in large numbers or some form of Islam doesn't happen uh, again until... Uh, the early 20th century with, you know, the, the noble Drew Ali and the Morris Science Temple mm-hmm. um, emerging, you know, founded in Newark in 1913 or so, um, where there's a very a deliberate attempt to return to Islam as those individuals understood it, in a, but a version of Islam that was very um, rhetorically explicitly responding to Jim Crow, you know, the, the disappointments of the great migration, um, you know, I, I mean, all of these, you know, systemic racism. And so, so their conceptions of the divine, um, their conceptions of what it meant to, uh, to, to kind of break away from a religious paradigm, i.e. Christianity, as they understood it, to have been forcibly 
um, uh, imposed upon African-Americans. Well, we're not going to practice the religion that that the white man gave us. Right. We're right. Gonna, we're, we're Muslims. Right. And, and our and our identity as Muslims, one transcends the U.S. nation state. Right. Because this idea with the Moorish Shines Temple was that they weren't they weren't Negroes. Mm-hmm. Right. They were Moors. Right. And they had a Moorish identity and they at least rhetorically had attempted to construct this an alternate sense of geography and uh, and political belonging in a world that transcended the U.S. nation state, which is a really, I mean, you know, people can kind of look back and say, well, this is just, you know, this is like fanciful, like grandi, you know, like delusions of grandeur. Mm-hmm. But what it actually is is kind of a way of reimagining the self through a spiritual lens that doesn't accept the limitations upon black bodies imposed by white supremacy. And this is done through an explicitly religious um, uh, religious framework. And so, um, and then of course, after the, after the Moorish Science Temple, um, the Nation of Islam emerges in the, 30, in the 1930s. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have, um, you know, of course, and the Nation of Islam is, as you know, many people may know, is the movement out of which, you know, such individuals as Elijah Muhammad and Clara Muhammad and and uh, Malcolm X, you know, who who then begins to articulate um, a really forceful um, politics of resistance that is inseparable from his religious perspective. I mean, Malcolm X's politics are. Um, in, the, in the same way that we understand Dr. King's um, philosophy of resistance, you know, through his uh, his affinity for Gandhi's movement, but also through his background as a as a as a Baptist minister, Malcolm X is no less uh, no less that type of figure. But we really very often don't analyze his political positions as emerging from a place um, informed. Um, and constructed by his spiritual perspective, right? Do you, Malcolm X was do you a deeply think, religious man. Do, do you think that that is an intentional oversight, um, as if to say that uh, Islam does not have a place for um, that that, are, that addresses the the modern concerns, what we consider to be modern concerns, but but are really issues that continue to just recur throughout history. You know, you have one oppressed. Or, or an oppressed class and uh, and an and an, adva- an advantage one. Um, do you think that that's an intentional oversight? I think it's. I think it's. it's sometimes it's intent. Sometimes it can be both or all of the above. I think that um, for many people, they just don't. They don't know enough about Islam. Even people who are quote unquote experts mm-hmm. on you know the movement. I mean. You know, someone like uh, Sierra Lincoln, who wrote the first really, uh, you know, uh, coined the term black ac- Muslims, academic, yeah. right, right, mm-hmm. and coined the term black Muslims and the first systematic academic study on the nation of Islam. Like, he didn't, I, like, I don't know, like, he just, I don't, I don't know if people understand, like, if they know enough, if they're familiar enough with Islam all of the time to be able to understand it in the same way that they can like kind of map that sort of thing onto a Christian. Oh, we understand how this works in Christianity, but this, this Muslim thing, like what's that? Right. I mean, (laughs) you know, (laughs) and, 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 and I think, so I think that's part of it, but I do think in some cases it is, you know, I mean, there's a whole lot of, there are a whole lot of political motivations for misrepresenting Islam in the modern world. Right. And it's especially given 
geopolitics and so on and so forth. So I think some of that is certainly the case at least some of the time. But I do I do think that for a lot of people they just they just don't know what to do with that. <laughs> they mm. don't know they don't know how to understand um, this type of you know this type of uh, framework because it's just not something that 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 is a part of their lives in any way. So they don't know what to do with it. You know what, uh, that also, I think some of that, that uh, reticence is attached to the fact that you have manifestations of Islam coming from, uh, from, from black folks, from African Americans, that was not attached to a, uh, that was not necessarily attached to a foreign uh, interest or hierarchy uh, at the outset. Uh, you had Muslims, uh, whether they were from the, uh, uh, the Nation of Islam or uh, the Moorish Science Temple, uh, in which case it was more of a, a geographical, um, uh, I guess a, a geographical association more so than it was. It wasn't, you know, we're not receiving orders from, you know, from Morocco, right? It was, we are, there was, it was self-directed. Uh, and, and in that, I think there is a, just a natural, I shouldn't say natural, but I do, I think there is a, there, there's a fear uh, because you have folks that were given a an interpretation of Christianity, uh, and not to say that it was accepted, because we know you know it was not accepted you know uh, across the board, um, but they went outside of the fold and came into a a, a, a different uh, understanding, a completely different a religion that you know historically has been tried to you know it's been painted as antithetical to. Uh, Christianity is that you know we we can't have Christianity and Islam in the same space and to have uh, African Americans now uh, embracing Islam without being a part of a uh, a structure that could be reached or uh, influenced or controlled. I think that's enough to to scare the crap out of a whole lot of folks. Yeah, I mean certainly. I mean because certainly before um, before. Uh, there was before the immigration reform act that was passed in 1965 mm. um the, the you know when muslims were um discussed in the public uh in the public view in the public uh, in the public sphere um i mean they were black muslims i mean and that was right. just by the numbers like most i mean of course there were there uh, there were in fact muslims from from other backgrounds who had immigrated from various parts of the world oh yeah sure um, here here um prior to that but um the prior to 19 prior to 1965 um there were strict quotas imposed upon um the numbers of folk of of individuals who were permitted to immigrate to the U.S. from from basically not Europe, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, in many ways, right? I mean, there were there were strict restrictions that were placed upon uh, a whole lot of what we what we might now term mostly the Muslim world, right? Which is where um, you find you know like in Asia and Africa places where Muslims who were black and brown um, lived. Uh, so there weren't. Uh, there were some here, but they were they were in much much more limited numbers. In 1965, um, of course, you know that act that the passage of that act is directly tied into the struggle, right? Um, black struggle in the civil rights movement, right? And mm-hmm. so, um, but then this opens up the borders to Muslims from different parts of the world in ways that was just simply not true before. So prior to 1965. Um, 
generally, if we, if there was any discussion of Muslims in the public sphere, we were talking about black Muslims. And that um, introduction of black Muslims to the U.S. public on a broad scale happened in 1958 or 59 um, with the airing of the, the CBS documentary with, with Mike Wallace hosting right. um, the hate, the hate that hate produced, which was really the first large scale introduction to, to a national U S audience of, of Muslims, right. Of black Muslims. And these were at that time that was, it was focused on the nation of Islam exclusively. Mm-hmm. Um, again, even though at that time there were other groups um, of African-American Muslims who had different theological approaches and so on and so forth like that. But that's the group that they focused on. And if you, and it's funny cause you can actually pull up footage of this on YouTube. This is kind of the great thing about the age. One of the great things about the age that we live in is that you can actually see a lot of this stuff. Like, you know, where I know I had been reading about the hate that hate produced for years because it Malcolm X mentions it in his autobiography and other historical accounts of the movement mentioned this is kind of a landmark moment for the movement. Um, but you can actually dig it up and, and watch it. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's and it's incredible because it's so alarmist. I mean, it is it is it is ins- like it's 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 when I when I the first time I watched it, I like I showed it to my kids. They were younger. and We kind of watched it together. And my kids were just like, what in the world? Like it was so it was framed in such a way that, OK, you know, like really these scary black Muslims are teaching uh, teaching their their kids to hate white people and I mean it's just bugged out right you know yeah. but it's but it's really you know this was this was the tone and the tenor right that um, that black expressions of Islam that at least made their way to mainstream America were were presented right that this is absolutely some sort of existential threat to the U.S. Um, and certainly you know. And the U.S. meaning white people, right? Right. <laughs> of course, this is right. This is, <laughs> yeah. You know, it's how we do. But like, um, but you know, but anyhow, so it's, you know, so yeah. I mean, I think you know, there was always a sense of. But I think that one of the things that even that depiction did, even though yes, they were explicitly saying that these people were black Muslims and whatever, whatever, they were less focused on the religious aspects of the movement and, and really zoning in on the political articulations of, um, you know, the pushback against white supremacy that uh, that Malcolm X and, and Elijah Muhammad were, uh, you know, kind of, I mean, this was a part of the, the, the Nation of Islam's kind of worldview and philosophy. I mean, but this is what white America zeroed in on. White America zeroed in on you know, well, hey, these these black people aren't necessarily trying to, you know, trying to just go quietly into the sunset. You know, there was a there was a, a scene um, in this in this documentary. Um, and I guess we call it a documentary, right? Um, yeah, I guess. That's, yeah. yeah, it's a documentary. Yeah. But uh, there was a scene and I, I think of this scene really as a contribution to to self-assessment of uh of privilege uh and and by privilege i mean you know by uh, uh, white folks generally um who were not really who were living in this bubble uh believing that everything was great um and not really understanding why people would have a problem well for for, for the first thing first part is uh, 
like you said, they were being introduced to black Muslims. But that self-assessment piece that I, that I think is a real, uh, that I think is a gift really to uh, to America is that they heard charges right uh, in there. So there's a there's a there's a scene where um, where uh, Minister Farrakhan at the time, Louis X, uh, he you know they they cut to him and he he he's rattling off you know I charge the white man with being the greatest liar on earth, uh, the greatest drunkard on earth, uh, with being the greatest gambler on earth, and um, you know and and goes down the line, the greatest peace breaker, uh, the greatest robber, and I would imagine that there were there were some who who heard it and just you know who just totally just said now I want to hear it you know it's ridiculous, uh, but there were some who actually took stock or maybe looked at history and looked at their interactions, um, and looked at the condition of of a great number of of African Americans uh, at the time, and. And really had to have a, a hard discussion, uh, a, a hard self-assessment. So I think that that was that was a gift in, in terms of, you know, we use the term, I guess, these young folks. I, I But the, the term now, you know, people talk about being woke. I think that was a real wake up moment um, for, America, for America, whether or not they knew anything about the theology. But to hear that articulation of why why folks are upset with those who have been in power. Uh, I think that was, that was, that was, that was a contribution. Uh, you know, that's, I felt like it was a, it was a real contribution. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, it's funny. Cause when I, when I watched it for the first time, I was, I was really trying to imagine like what it might have been like if I were, um, if I were a white person in Idaho. Yeah. And then that, like, you know, uh, to, you know, take your pick of some area that you might imagine mm -hmm. doesn't have large numbers of, of black people and, and kind of, you know, like what it what it might have been like to see something like that for the first time and what my reactions and my emotions might have been around it. And I mean, but I do think that um, I'd like to think that for some people it it, it served as you, uh, you know, like as a wake up call, as you said, but I, of course, I'm sitting here in 2018 thinking we have a man in the white house who's talking about make America great again, which is really in some ways a code for, um, at least as I read it, as you know, kind of going back to these, this nostalgic time period where, you know, where black people weren't a problem, <laughs> or, yeah. you know, yeah. right. Or they, I mean, they were there, but they were quiet and we didn't have to worry about, you know, hearing anything about demands from them. Or, I mean, if there was ever such a time, cause I mean, really like, I mean, black people have been resisting since we time. got here. Right. Yeah. Like, or since they tried to bring us here. I mean, you know, many of us resisted on the boat. Yeah. So like, but I think there's this idea that, you know, I mean, for many people, like, yeah, if you don't, if you're not forced to reckon with the reality that, um, that this nation and the comforts that, you know, that, that are enjoyed by certain aspects, certain segments of the population are built upon the backs, um, the labor and the, and the, you know, and the stolen land and resources, right, of, of black people and native people in this country, right, then if you're not for, if nobody forces you to think about that, you, you might not, you know, most people, given human nature, most people are probably not going to do that if they don't have to, you know, mm -hmm. 
Um, so I do think that I'm mean, at least the opportunity for some sort of introspection was there, but you know, so whether or not it ha Yeah. Did really I'm most people, did really most, <laughs> most people really take it like that? Probably not. I, I doubt it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Just yeah. given what we know of how history has developed since then. Right. Yeah. You know, um, it, when it comes to, because now I, I like, I appreciate that you mentioned at the outset um, that your research has looked at um, said now, po uh, the post-Ferguson era that we are in uh, now. Um, what do you, one of the things that, that comes to mind when, when, uh, when you were saying that is when we think about the uh, activism, the resistance that we see uh, today, that we don't necessarily, I think most, most people don't, um, that I speak to, they don't associate Muslims uh, or African-American Muslims, black Muslims in particular, um, with with having any involvement um, <clears throat> in, in, in this present day uh, resistance. Can you can you talk a, a little bit about that or to that point? Yeah, I mean, well, I think just on a basic level, like black Muslims are a part of the broader black community. And so what affects um, black people generally is going to be impacting black Muslims. Right. We live in the same neighborhoods. We go to the same, you know, many times inferior schools. We are still right. So, and so everywhere, um, in that issues of racial justice are, you know, are, are, are a concern. Uh, black Muslims, live there right um my research uh primarily was conducted on the east coast and kind of the, the the stretch of the northeast that extends from roughly new york city to um to, to dc mm -hmm. um in that geographic area um three uh major metropolitan uh, cities um u.s cities have uh, large um, and predominantly black Muslim, uh, you know, the Muslims, in other words, the Muslims in those cities are predominantly black Muslims. Newark, New Jersey, um, which is which is which is one of America's chocolate cities, right? So the, yeah. so the population itself is, uh, you know, is majority black. Um, uh, Philadelphia, which is not a majority black city, but of course has a large and vibrant, uh, you know, black population. The Muslims in Philadelphia are predominantly black. Like if you go to Philly, like if people talking about Muslims, they know Muslims, they, they've interacted with Muslims, nine times out of 10, those Muslims are black. Mm -hmm. um, and, and also Baltimore, which is of course, another one of America's chocolate cities. I think that, I think that the demographic in Baltimore is somewhere around 65% black. Um, and there are Muslims of other ethnic backgrounds in Baltimore, but a lot of um, you know, a lot of those Muslims there are black as well. And I know when I, when I the way things fell out, um, I happened to be in Baltimore at the time of the 2015 uprising. Oh, really? Yeah. Mm. And um, what I found uh, when I got there um, is that Muslims was all up in the cut. I mean, the, <laughs> the brothers, I mean, that's, they're everywhere. Right. Like, they were, I mean, they were everywhere. 
I mean, I, from the time I, like, I, when I, when I got there, like, I, you know, I parked my car and I was walking, like, because I, I came because there was a protest happening immediately after the death of Freddie Gray that I wanted to observe. So I just, like, I just went there. I didn't know anybody. I didn't have no, I didn't have any previous plans of working in Baltimore. It was just like, you know, stuff hit the fan. So I, I, I went down there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting because immediately when, as I was walking from the car to the Gilmore homes, which is where Freddie Gray lived and died. Um, and that was, that was the place where this particular protest, where protesters were meeting up and there, and I was walking there, I'm walking there and, you know, I, there's like people on the streets just giving me salams, you know, they might've been Muslims or not because that, but yeah. you know how it is like this, how it, cause, cause we live in these communities. So people who are Muslim, they might not be Muslim, but they know Asalaamu Alaikum, right? right? Because, because we're their neighbors and their cousins and their, you know, and their, and their coworkers. Right. And so I'm, this is before I, anything even happens. Like I'm already being greeted with salams. And this is to me is like, an, it's evidence of how deeply embedded, black Muslims are in these communities. Now, when I get there to the protest itself, um, I, you know, I, I ran into a contingent of brothers from the, from the fruit of Islam, from the FOI, the, you know, Muhammad's mosque number six is mm-hmm. right, you know, right at stone's throw basically from where all of that stuff happened. And they have an extremely large, I mean, when they showed, I got there first, they came maybe 10 minutes or maybe 15 minutes after I got there. I mean, but when these brothers got out of their cars, everybody from the, who was, I mean, a lot of the folks who were standing in the car, because we were just kind of waiting for, you know, the crowd to fill out and then we were going to move. Um, when those brothers got there, I mean, people were audibly like, oh, yes, the FOI is here. Like, you know, so we have a presence, <laughs> do you know what I mean? So people recognize them as a, as a, as a, as a positive, a strong positive influence in that community. Yes. Um, and then a couple of days later, I went to, you know, I was around and snooping around and meeting people and talking to folks and doing all of this stuff. Um, after Freddie Gray's funeral, which I attended, um, that's, you know, and after, like, not too long after the funeral let out, you know, that's when the, C, you know, the stuff happened where the CVS burned and this is what everybody saw on the news. Right. Um, there's a, there's a masjid right across the street from that CVS. Um, masjid Asafat is a Sunni, a black Sunni masjid. Mm. Um, it is, I believe, the oldest masjid in the city. Wow. Um, they have, um, they, they definitely have the oldest Islamic school. The masjid and the Islamic school is there. So they, their school is, is, I'm pretty sure is the oldest Islamic school in the city. And I think the masjid might be as well. They've been there since, you know, since the late seventies and they were a part of the, you know, kind of like when, um, you know, after the CVS burned, one of the things, that, I mean, I talked to folks there, you know, I, 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 you know, whatever, I was there. I mean, that's what anthropologists do. We kind of hang, we hang out with people, we ask them questions, and we're like, right. what's going on here, right? So I spent a lot of time there, and um, one of the things that, so for example, like that, that CVS, um, which is something that I didn't see in a lot of the media coverage there, like because of hyper segregation and the way that it negatively negatively impacts um, 
you know, largely concentrated urban black communities is basically, I mean, it's, it's, in some ways it's a retail desert, right? That CVS was the, is, you know, one of the only places in that neighborhood where people can get, you know, cosmetics and medicine and, you know, that sort of thing. And so the loss of it is a, it was a tremendous loss for the neighborhood next door to the CVS is a, is a senior citizens high rise, which of course is where, you know, a lot of low income black seniors live in that building next to it. And so for them, they're, they're the most vulnerable because they have the least mobility, right? Because of their age and medical conditions and whatnot. And so these seniors now don't have a place to buy, you know, denture cream and high blood pressure medication. And they're probably getting their you prescriptions know, filled there. Exactly. Mm. So one of the things that the that the that Masjid Asafat did was that they organized like long term and immediate this was this was the next day after the CVS was burned. They had I mean when I went there they had uh, a number of like they had a whole like room like in the musala in the prayer area, you know, full of like, grocery bags, you know, where you know, you know, necessary toiletries and, and items that that pharmacy would carry. Um they, they were supplying to the seniors in that building. And the sister was like, look, they're the most vulnerable people in the community. So wow. our job is to take, you know, we're going to try and we're going to do this for as long as we need to. Mm. You know, as long as these people are impacted, this is what we're going to. So like, so I don't know. So I, I mean, you know, and this is not something that you saw on CNN. Right. And it's not something that you're going to see on CNN. Yeah. But this is, but we are, this is, I mean, these people are our neighbors and, you know, and, and whatnot. So like we're, we're in it. I mean, and then of course there are many cases where these victims of, you know, of, of police violence are black Muslims. I mean, this has happened during my, you know, when I was, I mean, I didn't spend any time on the ground in Boston, but during my research period, um, Osama Rahim, who was an African-American Muslim, um, was was killed by um, uh, uh, members of the FBI and Boston PD as a part of a joint ter- terrorism task force um, investigation. Now, they had this brother under surveillance for, you know, constant surveillance for a how, how many, for a long period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, interestingly enough, they suspected him of terrorism, whatever that means, right? Mm-hmm. And I say that because even though they were monitoring monitoring him like near constantly for for several months at least, um, they didn't have enough evidence of any type of wrongdoing to secure a warrant. So they didn't have a warrant, right? They mm-hmm. just they just decided to roll on him, and he was on his way to work. He was at the bus stop early one morning. They rolled up on him. He didn't make it out of the encounter alive. Hmm. Um, and I mean, and so uh, when I was and in Newark, uh, the day after the the decision came from Ferguson that Darren Wilson was not going to be indicted for the for the murder. Uh, for the fatal shooting of Michael Brown, there was a protest held and in, in, there were a number of protests in the area. I went to the one that was in Newark. Um, and that day, you know, you know, the people who were gathered were, they were upset about the, the decision about to not indict Michael Brown's killer, but they also had been connecting that, you know, they were connecting that to local cases. And there were, you know, some of the, you know, 
uh, families of the local victims of police killings were present. Um, some of the activists there were talking about the ways that, um, in Newark at least, um, these, these, some of these folks had been working on, for example, establishing a civilian review board for, you know, for police uh, yeah. conduct mm-hmm. in the city since 1967, right? What? Um, but yes, so this is this was not something that so this I mean yes they were connecting it to Ferguson but this issue is old like you yeah, know yeah. and this has been and this is not new and so but among the victims that were being that whose names were, were you know and whose case I learned about that day was a was a was a Muslim brother that had been shot by not Newark police but one of the one of the like the the neighboring suburbs. In, uh, in Essex County. So we're, so we are impacted. Um, and I also know that like, I mean, and just to kind of bring it home even for like, uh, you know, a good friend of mine, um, a Muslim sister, actually an African-American Muslim sister, um, was rough handled and beaten by cops when she was eight months pregnant years ago, because there was, uh. a, there was a dispute that she, so like, so we're impacted we're impacted by police brutality. I know, and part of the reason why I became interested in this issue specifically is, is also because it is something that I grew up with. I mean, I was, you know, I became Muslim at 17, but, you know, I mean, I, you know, if you live in a black community, you've probably seen, if you haven't been beaten by police yourself, you've probably seen somebody who lived across the street from you or, you know, whatever. I, I mean, I, I know I've seen these incidents, you yeah. know, where my neighbors and my, you know, my, my loved ones were manhandled, um, unjustly. Yeah. I, I, I won't share my story now, but I, I, I definitely have my own personal, uh, encounter as a young black man, 16, mm. 16 years old, just got my license and being pulled over and, uh, threatened by a carload of, uh, police, uh, plainclothes police officers. Uh, mm-hmm. with with weapons uh, drawn and yeah so yeah it is definitely something that it doesn't pass over you because because you're Muslim you're, right and 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 black Muslims are also impacted by I'm sorry to cut you off no 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 but and black Muslim but black Muslims are also doubly impacted because we're also because in addition to the anti-blackness that brings up that 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 um, that makes people subject to um, these types of police abuses. We're also, we also get the Islamophobia. Yeah. Right. And so like, and so it like, especially it's, this is especially prevalent and or, or um, evident, I should say, in a, in the case like Osama Rahim's where kind of this language of terrorism and the, the like the state sponsored Islamophobia that comes along with that. Right. Because terrorists are, are Muslim, right. This is at least in the popular imagination and at least in terms of what, law enforcement policy tends to understand, even though according to FBI statistics, most domestic terrorists are in fact, you know, non-Muslim white men. Yep. But, right. Facts. So, but, but this is, but this is what, but this is, but we get kind of like doubly impacted. And that's actually also a part of the project that I'm writing, right. Is, is really thinking about what it means to be, um, intersectionally impacted as as both black and Muslim in this particular historical period, right? Because we have, you know, um, you, I mean, you have the the the, the anti blackness, right? That's emanating from, say, the Trump administration, right? But you also have 
you know, Islamophobia as policy emanating from the Trump um, White House. And in every level from the federal on down, this, mm. there are impacts, right? So, um, so, 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 so black Muslims are impacted and they're, and, and, and are, you know, a part of the landscape, um, where these injustices occur and therefore black Muslims are a part of, um, the resistance to these, to, uh, you know, to these, to these injustices. And this is not something that, um, is only, you know, the case in the post-Ferguson era, but of course we know historically that groups like the Nation of, I mean, the Nation of Islam sued police departments all over the, uh, all over the U.S., including in New York, um, in L.A., and some other places where, um, where, where especially members of the Nation of Islam were beaten and or killed yeah. um, by, by law enforcement. And yeah. so police brutality was an issue that was 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 a part of their political platform, um, their political religious. I mean, this is what they they talked explicitly about it. They organized against it. They uh, they 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 did sue on they sued police departments on a number of occasions. Not so. I mean, you know, so um, so this is you know this type of um, social just these types of social justice concerns have always been a big part of 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 African-American religious expression in the, you know, um, so this is, it's, it's kind of like what I'm, what I'm, what I'm, the way I'm placing some of this stuff is within the context. I think I alluded to this when I was talking about it in the beginning is that it's a part of the genealogy of resistance. Like we, you know, we, we kind of been doing this for a while, mm-hmm. um, you know, um, as a part of our, you know, but it, and, and I, you know, my understanding of um, yeah okay so uh, my understanding of Quranic um, commands is that social justice and fighting for social justice is an act of worship Right. Um, it, it is, in fact, you know, it's like prayer in that regard. Right. It is, in fact, a way of drawing closer to God. Right. Making um, I mean, and there are many, you know, uh, scriptures that that's, in my opinion, support this reading. And this is something that has been a significant part of um, of black expressions of Islam in the U.S. I mean, this has been a huge um, center uh, a pillar, I should say. It's been a huge pillar of of, of the wave of a of kind of a, of an African American Muslim aesthetic, um, you know. And uh, we see that in kind of prominent, um, or at least well known, widely known figures such as Malcolm X or Muhammad Ali or, or others of that ilk. But like, you know, it's kind of kind of what you know Black Muslims have done collectively over the over the last century. Yeah, it has become the the stock and trade. Um, yeah. Would would you say that um, because resistance and activism uh, for many people, and I think this is probably more so true for the African American community at large, uh, because because of that relationship uh, that we have, uh, you know, we have um, you know, there are Muslims in. Well, I should say they're Christians in just about everybody in every uh, uh, black Muslim's family, just just about. 
Um, you know, I know that's the truth for myself. My, the majority of my family are, um, are Baptists. Um, right. And uh, that being the case, as they observe uh, that history, they, they observe the behavior, uh, it has been one that has, uh, where, where activism um, has been, has played a big part uh, in, uh, in the uh, existence or the expression of, of faith, uh, particularly throughout, uh, throughout the, uh, the, the 60s. Um, do you think that at some point we begin to lose those moments uh, focus on those moments of just being, and it it does become more about you know my life is really just about just just to be black and live. Um, I think I think I'm paraphrasing you. I think it is it is pretty much an act of uh, defiance, an act of resistance uh, in in a space that really challenges your your freedom of movement of 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 of, 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 of thought, um, and you know and, and as such it is. You know, it's it's pushed back against. So do you think we lose sight on just being uh, at times? Um, I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't if I understand your question correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if I would say that, you know, someone who is is struggling to stay alive is losing sight of what it means to resist. I wouldn't say that because I think sometimes that's you know, it's a lot to carry all the time, right? To yeah. be, you know, and I think, and I, and I also, as I was saying earlier, I think resistance takes many forms. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I, what I will say though, is that, you know, so yeah, so, I mean, so, I'm sorry, but so, but so, you know, if, if your resistance right now looks like, you know, keeping your kid fed, then, you know what I mean? Do what you got. You know what I mean? Right, that's what right. you, that's, Staying alive is, is important, right? Um, <laughs> it's the key to everything. <laughs> you know, and I also, and I also, you know, because, because you can't do anything that is more traditionally recognizable as fighting if you're not alive. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're not, if you're not whole and if you're not healthy, you know, it's become very difficult to engage in other types of resistance. So I don't, I don't want to minimize that at all. Um, but I do think that, um, I mean, can I, can I interject? Can can I, I'm sorry. No, no, what I I wasn't saying so much about the, um, what I was, what I was attempting to get across is because we live, um, we live with a constant, there's a constant awareness that I am, that I'm fighting. Mm -hmm. Um, how and maybe it's not so much do we lose sight of just being, but do others see us in a way um, where we are more than just than it, than it's just about resistance? And I and I personally I don't think that's the case, but I think. Oh, okay. I think I understand what you're saying now. Yeah. Okay. So 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 well in my own work. Um, I mean, I, I definitely believe that blackness is more is, is, is more than the sum of it, you know, kind of the resistance parts. Yeah. Um, you know, and I don't um, I don't actually. You know, when I am writing about what it means to kind of be a black Muslim in this time period. Right. Mm-hmm. Um you know, you know, Ferguson and state sponsored Islamophobia and all of these things are 
a part of the environment, but what we're doing in this time period as black Muslims, as we always do is like, we're, we're, we're hopefully like, um, we're being human in the fullest possible way. And that includes everything else that we do. That includes, that includes the joy that includes, you know, the, you know, that includes the foods we cook. That includes the, excuse me, that includes the, the humor that includes, you know, that includes everything. Right. And so, um, that includes our, our spiritual expressions, right. That includes how we pray and fellowship and, and all of these things, right? And so blackness is so much more than oppression, right? And so I don't, I absolutely yeah. do not um, subscribe to a belief that, I mean, that is a part of, it marks our lives, right? But it's not everything and it's not the only thing and it's not, you know, and it's not the lens through which everything we experience is, is understandable. Mm -hmm. um, it is a fact of our lives. Um, it is a fact, not all of the, you know, it's not everything. Right. So, so I do, I mean, I write about like my, my, my project, um, is, is about also, and it, it is also about the joy of living and the joy of being black Muslim. And, and, you know, so, uh, one of the things that I, um, that emerged out of my field work that I was inspired to do a few years ago when I was in my most active field work period, mm -hmm. um, was to actually figure out a way to document and celebrate like the range of, of black Muslimness and what that meant in this particular time period. And so, um, I was, I was moving all over the place. Like my, you know, I, I described kind of the geographic region of my field work, which you can maybe imagine yeah. meant that I had to move about a little bit. <laughs> um, and so, but I was, so I was going from place to place. This was like around the time of the, the Charleston shooting and, and the Baltimore uprising and like that stretch of months, which is super hectic, like in terms of, you know, I mean, it was like, you know, it was like, it was just really, really these violently spectacular events were happening like back to back to back to back to back. But mm -hmm. I was hanging out and, you know, it was Ramadan and I was like, I was here and I was at Juma and I was having iftar over here, you know, breaking fast, the meal that we have at the end of the day in Ramadan and like doing all of this stuff in different places, you know, with black Muslims. And what was occurring to me was that like, we, this is really beautiful. Like we got hmm. like this whole, you know, like in the midst of all of this that was happening, like we, you know, we kicking it, Still we living. having fun, we like, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. we come, we looking fly when we come to the mass shit, we got like, you know, like, right. you know, and we are also mindful of the fact that, you know, that, that Dylan Roof just went to church and shot all those people, and we pissed off about that, and you know, so it's like, all of that was kind of like rolled into one, and so I felt like I wanted to, I wanted to find a way to capture that, and so what I did was, organized a, a, a conversation on social media on Twitter specifically um, under the hashtag black Muslim Ramadan. Mm. Yes. And what I, and what I did was I was like, okay, like I just like, I want people to, I want us to all log into Twitter at X time and just whatever that means to you, just show me what it looks like. So pictures, sound, 
food. I don't care, whatever, jokes, whatever you got, just throw it all out there. Right. And the response was amazing. I like one, I didn't expect it to go as far. I know like looking at some of the analytics from the conversation, like when I was had time to go back and, you know, measure who was tweeting from where, whatever. I mean, we, we had participants from every continent except for Antarctica. Wow. Wow. Marcella. Um, <laughs> and it was just, it was just, it was beautiful. I mean, we had, we were talking about the types of foods that we eat and we look forward to eating in Ramadan. And that's everything from, from fried chicken to oxtail to sorrel to, you know, to mafe to like, you know, so it, mm. and it became like a, you know, like a celebration of, of worldwide blackness, black Muslimness, yeah. you know, how, what are family gathering here? Here's me, here's, you know, here's me and my family and me and my, all my cousins at, at the iftar. Then when Eid came, you know, we had to show out. Right. So like, <laughs> like, <laughs> like, you know, like, the fashion, the, you know, I mean, and there were conversations about, you know, kind of the difficult political stuff that was happening. And that was a part of the conversation. But I mean, it was, it encompassed every aspect of our lives, the, the, the joy, the beauty, the family life, the, you know, I mean, it was just, it was, it was, it was so validating and so beautiful because this really is broad and it's encompassing and it's, and it, and it, permeates every aspect of how we live life is that like our humanity is infused with with this you know this this black aesthetic mm -hmm. right um which is not singular right it's very diverse and under that grouping and under that umbrella but it was just it was great you know i mean you know we were we got to you know people were were, were sharing you know their favorite quran recitations from from black Quran reciters, you know, so so I, you know, somebody had shared with me a a, um, a, a, a sheikh that I wasn't familiar with mm -hmm. prior, um, Sheikh uh, Ahmed Suleiman from Nigeria, mm -hmm. and it was really interesting. If you if you if you haven't heard him, like you know, maybe look for his um, his recitation. But it's so I will, striking because he's, he's he's Nigerian, and mm -hmm. his recitation reminds me of the Mississippi blues. It's Oh Beautiful. God! I have to listen to it then. <laughs> it's right. It's like the intonation. It's just like I'm like this is this. It sounds like the blues, and it's you know. So it's just this reminder that what what, what blackness is for us. It's it's not just you know kind of these you know this 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 oppression right, but it, it it's also like it's a sound. It's a walk. It's a look. Mm -hmm. It's a taste. It's a smell. It's you know. It's um, it's a way of being. It's a way of relating to other human beings, right? Um, it's a it's a it's a mode of family organization. Like it's all of those things. And so, like I, um, I you know, I this this was just a beautiful opportunity um, to to experience some of that. And and you can still, if you're interested, anyone who's interested can still actually, because of, of course it's a hashtag, so it's archived. Mm -hmm. If you go on Twitter. And, you know, type in like, you know, the hashtag sign, the pound sign, Black Muslim Ramadan. Um, you can pull up the whole archive. And it, and it happened a few in like a few years in a row. So after that first instance, people wanted to do it again the following year when the time rolled around. So it's, you know, and it was also to um, and, and for me, like I, I some news coverage of it. I was interviewed by um, a few different news outlets at the time. And one of the things that 
um, that, you know, I, and one of the things that, that I was asked was about the inspiration for it. And I said, you know, actually part of it was because the Charleston shooting had just happened. I had to be like, the, kind of like, I think that was like the first day of Ramadan mm-hmm. in 2015 was the Charleston shooting, or maybe it was the day before, something like that. Mm-hmm. And that was actually, but that was a part of the inspiration because I understood that in a world that really is eager to stamp out expressions of, of black sacred, like I wanted to celebrate black sacred life, you know? Yeah. Um, because, you know, because it's so important to, to, you know, to the white supremacist um, project that we don't exist and that we don't, you know, we don't get to live out that joy. We don't get to live out that beauty. We don't get to, you know, so I said, you know, what we're going to do is we're going to celebrate that mm-hmm. um, in honor of in honor of those people who died in Charleston, mm. you know, um, and so. So, yeah, so for me, blackness is so much like we are we like the celebration of blackness as a spiritual project is really about uh, reveling in the beauty of our God given humanity. Undying cannot be stamped out, um, even though they have, you know, there are so many efforts. So many they efforts. Both, both, they, they stay trying it. <laughs> yeah, they, they try. But you know what? And and really, that's one of the, the, the main, uh, the driving forces behind uh, this project, behind, behind this um, uh, effort, uh, Black Blue Podcast, is is to look at look at the conditions of black people, to look at the, uh, the, 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 the contributions, consciousness, um, uh, uh, creativity, uh, and even in looking at the problems, even in looking at resistance, you still come to a place. I believe you come to a place where you find celebration in all of that. Yeah. Um, and I, I appreciate you bringing up the fact that our tradition is one that um, it is it is re- replete with um, uh, exhortations towards establishing justice and standing standing up for justice and truth. Uh, and in these things going beyond simply the ritual so that if we're talking about celebrating the sacred life, it's not just in the mosque. It's not just in, in you know, it's not in ritualistic um, gatherings. But when you see people protesting or, or speaking out, that you're actually witnessing something that is sacredly, uh, uh, that is um, spiritually uh, motivated and 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 profound and and goes it ties itself back to uh, tradition that's all about uh, justice and celebrating it. So I am um, I'm, I'm 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 inspired when I uh, when I see us out there and 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 and, and speaking and and doing and 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 behind the scenes, right? These are this is I think this is. This is what it's about. It's not always about the, the 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 light, you know. It's about the the work that gets us from from point A to point B. Just the everyday stuff that we do that we don't really, uh, we don't get credit for. We don't pay attention to. But if we stop and look at them, these are things that are these are monumental things that are taking place. Um, every day. Absolutely. So, I really, truly appreciate you taking the time. Um. And and I gotta ask you before we before we go, 
Um, you said, so are you working on anything that you're going to be, uh, publishing for the, for the, the general public, uh, that they might be able to access? Um, well, currently, um, I, I do have some items that are already published, okay. um, that are available, uh, and they're freely, generally freely accessible, um, on the web. My website is my name, DonnaAustin.com. Mm-hmm. Um, most of my writings, um, that are, that are currently available up to this point, um, are in fact available there. Um, so you can kind of take a look at, um, some of my reflections on, some of these issues that I've spoken about tonight um, are the subject of those those writings. So that's probably the easiest place. The dissertation is not won't necessarily be widely available for um, for the public, and at least not in that form. But I, there are long, longer term plans to kind of make it to turn it into a book that would be uh, widely publicly available. But for now, I, I definitely have a number of already uh, published articles and shorter pieces that. Um, that encompass some of these issues and public talks as well. Um, you know, cause some of these issues I've talked about with audiences in different places. So, um, you can find that on my website, mm-hmm. DonnaAustin.com, D O N N A A U S T O N, uh, all one word, no periods or spaces or anything like that.com. Um, and yeah. Okay. And also, you know, some reflections that, I mean, my social media accounts as well, um, my public Facebook page, which you can find under my name, um, and you know, on Twitter and those sorts of things, you sometimes will <clears throat> hear some of this stuff as well. Yeah, yeah, you you you, you regularly drop it on on, on Twitter uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and Facebook, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> so uh, yeah. Once again, uh, I really appreciate you and uh, pray for your continued uh, success and and well being. And uh, I am looking forward to having you on the Black Blue Podcast again, inshallah, very <laughs> in the near future. <laughs> Thank you for the invitation. It's a pleasure to be here. All right. Good Thank talking you. with you. Okay. Like the Black Blue Podcast is a Lifestyle Communications production. And as always, we thank you for listening. This is Tariq Alameen. Until next time. Mm-hmm.